And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade Sim, featuring the new Sim driver designed with a radical new head shape. To make the driver both fast and forgiving where you need it most on the downswing, Sim irons with an improved speed bridge and echo dampening system to deliver a distance iron with forge-like feel. And the Sim fairway woods with low CG to help you hit it higher. And the V-steel sole to help you launch it even easier out of any lie. Go get fit for Sim throughout the entire bag and experience the effect it's going to have on your entire game. Check it out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information on the all-new Sim family. All right, now back with me is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick. Like I said at the top, you can visit him and improve your game at Esplanade Golf and Country Club in Naples, Florida. You can also visit TP in his new indoor facility, which is looking fantastic. You can also download the V1 video app and send him videos of your golf swing and get instruction through there. Or send him a question on his website, tompatry.com. You can also subscribe to his newsletter when you're on his website as well. Tom is also a member of the Titleist Leadership Advisory Board. He was a two-time first-team All-American at Florida Southern, and he won the Division II National Championship in 1981 and was inducted into the Sports Hall of Fame in 2004. And it's always a privilege getting to have him as part of the show. Hey, TP, how are you, my friend? Christy boy! <laughs> hey, TP, how are you? How are you doing, pal? How are you, man? How's everything out there in the uh, in Hot Atlanta? Uh, everything is fantastic here. You kidding me? Tell me about Naples. I'm telling you, I see, I'm seeing pictures that you're posting uh, on social media about the new indoor facility from what was a uh, once was a garage is now looking like a high tech studio, my friend. Yeah, we we um we <laughs> we kind of did it out of desperation, Chris, because I'm not even sure where this whole thing is going or where the world is going. So I wanted a little insurance policy. So my folks could safely come and, and take a golf lesson and, and maintain a distance if they had to. So we we gutted the garage and uh, we uh, created a, a backdrop of curtain we can film against. We put in a track man, a body track, and V1 video, a uh, pretty good-sized flat screen, uh, a state-of-the-art um, fiber-built mat, and uh, all kinds of teaching agent toys. We've got an explainer string trainer in there. and. It's actually pretty cool. I I I kind of did it on a whim, but it came together beautifully, and it's been fun. We've had about uh, in the past two weeks, we've had about fifteen to twenty lessons in there, and and people have really loved it. Actually, I I, I really did it to see if there would be any any pushback to it. You know, I mean, everybody wants to be outdoors in Naples. The weather's beautiful here, but they've loved it. Um, most of them have signed up for a second a second go around in there already. So um, it it's kind of come around. A little bit out of desperation, a little bit by accident, but it's really, really, it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. You mentioned body track. Talk about what what that is. So body track is a is a technology. It's a mat that people stand on, and and to, for a simple explanation, because I'm I'm not very smart, so I'll give you the simple version. Um, it it ties into my V1 video, so I can take a video of you, Chris, and have it on screen. And up in the corner of the screen, I can toggle any size I want, make the image bigger or smaller. But in the corner of the screen is in real time as I swing, as you make the golf swing. I can stop the golf swing at any juncture during the swing, and I can show you both from left to right and from heel to toe and both feet exactly where your weight is and by exact percentages. So exactly, say say at impact you are, you know, 70% left and 30% right as far as left to right, but you're you know, you're 20% in the trail toe and 40% in the lead heel. 
uh, a lot of times when people don't make a good weight shift but think they do, uh, I say to them, you know, where do you think your weight is? And I cover the screen, and they say, oh, I think I'm here. And I, I open the screen up, and they're like, no, that can't be right. I say, well, no, that's, <laughs> no, that's right. So it can really quantify. I don't really say weight shift anymore. I say weight pressure. Where are you putting the pressure on the ground? And where? You, how are you using the ground? Um, so it's really a big help in delivering force um, at, at the impact point and, and through, throughout the golf swing. Well, that leads perfectly into one of the things I wanted to talk with you tonight is using the ground. We're hearing that term, you know, that phrase, I should say, more and more, using the ground to create more power. Talk about, first of all, let's talk balance, because one of the things that, you know, I'm hearing also is, do we want to be perfectly balanced? Do I want 50-50 on each foot? Do I want to load up my right side for, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a right-handed player, and I am, do I want to load up on my right side and then use the ground and release it to get my weight transferred to my left side? Let's talk about how do you find the right balance mix, and then how do you use the ground to create more speed? Well, Chris, first of all, the first premise I always teach people is if you don't start in balance, you can't swing in balance. So the first thing, the first mistake that I see a lot of amateurs making is they start out of balance. So I, I'm a 50-50 guy. I like you perfectly balanced, 50-50. I'm not a, I'm not a preload the right side guy. I'm kind of a 50-50 be centered, not only from right to left, but from heel to toe. I want you in perfect balance at the start. And then I think the mistake people make is that, and that's why I started using the term putting pressure in different places versus weight shift is a lot of people's interpretation of weight shift is to make this big lateral movement with their upper body to the right. And the trick is, and it is a trick a little bit, how do I get the weight or the pressure into my trail foot and my backswing without moving my head six inches off the ball to the right? And and, and that that is a skill. So there's ways I was to do that. I keep people centered and I say to them, or I might even hold their head, and I'll say, okay, make body track, show me, you put more pressure as you turn your shoulders while I'm holding your head centered into your right heel. That's amazing how easy they actually do that when you show them how to do it the first time. Um, but I want to get pressure moving into my right side, which in fact is, is, is a distribution of weight to some degree, but not upper body weight movement where you're way off the golf ball. Because if I get too far off the golf ball with my core or my center and my head, then it, the swing becomes very timing-based and returning to the impact area consistently. Very much harder to do. Um, you want to use the ground. You want to use ground force, you know, to to you know put pressure on the ground as a you know, as a way of stabilizing yourself to deliver the shaft to unwind your body um, to create a pressure shift into your left side eventually. And I, you know, when when people have bad footwork, Chris, let me ask you a question. You'll understand this perfectly. Because you, you interview so many great athletes. Tell me who the best running back, in your opinion, you've ever seen play the game of football is. Walter Payton. Oh, that's a great one, right? Tell me who the best point guard you've ever seen play the game. Walt Frazier. Wow. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. That's very nice of you. You throw me a bone. Here's where we're going to have a little trouble. <laughs> best shortstop you've ever seen. Best shortstop you've ever seen. Oh, got to be Nomar Gassiapara. Oh, I'm going to get sick to my stomach. Okay, I'll give you that <laughs> one. Good one, Bert. Very good one. And the best hockey player you've ever seen. I think this is an easy one, really. Mario Lemieux. Okay, so I was going to say Gretzky, but that, that, Mario is a great one. So 
I want you to think about those four athletes for a minute. Amazing athletes, amazing skills, amazing athleticism. Have you ever seen a great athlete, not a good one, a great athlete with bad footwork? No. No, absolutely not. So body track teaches us great footwork, great movement of pressures throughout the golf swing, great ways to load and unload the body, using the ground, using our feet, understanding where pressure should be at different points in time. And if you can't do that, it's going to be really, really, it's going to be difficult to deliver a really compressed, really, really organized, accelerating blow. Now, are there freak shows in golf? I think there are a lot of freak shows. I think we look at uh, Bubba Watson, who has maybe the worst footwork on the planet. We look at uh, Justin Thomas, who I think has a wonderful golf swing from the waist up, but I, I don't, I'm not a particularly big, big fan of his footwork. I'm not a big fan of Spieth's footwork. Okay, so if I wanted examples to show people, I would look at Tiger in between 2000 and 2003. I'd look at Adam Scott at any juncture in his career. Uh, you know, I'd look at some of the old-time great swingers of the golf club, you know, like Julius Boros and people like that, and they had really, really wonderful footwork. Nick Price had great footwork, you know. So I, I think that, as a rule, I want to look at more classic-type swingers and how they use their feet in the ground as opposed to, you know, some guys that are freakish that, listen, there's always going to be somebody that violates the rules and finds a way to manipulate the golf club and get away with it. They're just freaks. And I, I think, and listen, nothing against Bubba. I think Bubba's an incredible talent, but I don't think you could teach many people Bubba's golf swing. So I try to teach footwork in a sound manner. I try to explain, you know, pressure and distribution of weight throughout the golf swing. And then body track is a great tool to do that. So you mentioned great footwork and 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 I conceptually know what it means when I'm when I'm playing other sports but when we're playing golf what does great footwork to you look like I know you you, you say Bubba Watson looks bad I know Justin Thomas just because he's probably off the ground as much as he's on it what does right. great foot like footwork look like though to me I, I break it down this way Chris your lead foot and depending if you're righty or lefty your, your left foot if you're righty your lead foot is what I call the anchor or the brace foot. Um, I want that foot stable. And that's your, that's the point you're trying to go to. That's your, that's your stabilizing forward post. And then your right foot is the pivot foot or the release foot. And that's the one that really gets tricky for people. So most people, when they swing the club, as they start their downswing, they work from heel to toe. If you can picture that, they kind of stand up on their right toe, they, and their right knee goes out towards the golf ball, which causes their hips to move towards the golf ball. And when your hips move towards the ball instead of rotationally, it's a decelerating motion, okay? So if you look at really good swingers of the golf club, the right foot does a couple of different things. It starts relatively flat, and then in transition, it, it rolls, or I call it banks to the instep. It banks to the instep because your right knee is creasing towards your left knee, and then it rolls to the toe. So it goes flat, banks, and rolls. Flat, bank, and rolls to the toe. And when you get that kind of a movement, that allows your right leg and your right knee to work correctly and allows your left hip to clear and accelerate. And now, now you have game on and you got some speed. So the way, the thing I really emphasize is the left foot is planted. It's a plant foot and the right foot has to be organized and, and sequenced in such a way that allows the things above it, if you will, your right leg and then your hips, your pelvic area to work correctly to create an accelerating motion. TP, let's switch it up a little bit. Um, I want to get your thoughts. We've actually had live golf the last couple of weeks. Past weekend, we had the match with Tiger Payton and, uh, um, against Phil and, uh, Tom Brady. 
The week before that, yeah, we had the tailor-made driving. That's right. And uh, then we had the tailor-made driving relief event with Rory, DJ, Ricky, and Matt Wolf. So, want to get first of all, just give me your thoughts. What did you think about both events? I thought I thought the star the star of the first event was the golf course in Seminole. I think that for the world to get to see that place for the first time on on national TV and a live broadcast. And I've been I've had the real privilege of being there on a couple of different occasions. Bob Ford is a host professional there and, and one of the icons in, in the PGA of America is a good friend of mine and he's had me over a couple of times and I, it's just one of those really special places, Chris, when you walk on the grounds there and you and you, you play one through eighteen, uh the locker room is just a is is like a mausoleum to golf history. Um, it's a, it's a, it's an incredible experience. It's a great place for, for the world to get to see that piece of property and, and some of Donald Ross's incredible design characteristics was really special. I thought the golf was, um, extremely boring. I thought, I thought DJ put me to sleep. You know, um, I thought Ricky was an absolute superstar. Ricky's got something about him, you know, you know, Chrissy, something about Ricky Fowler. I mean, how do you not like Ricky Fowler? I mean, he's just, he puts it great. He smiles. He's charismatic. He, he's California cool, but he, it's not forced in any way. And we'll speak of forced in just a second. He just, and, you know, he, he put a pair of pajamas on. He's pretty cool. You know, I mean, no matter what he does, he's cool. Um, <laughs> I thought, I thought, I thought DJ was beyond boring. I thought Matt Wolf was really interesting. Matt Wolf was a youngster who just, you know, bubbled with enthusiasm, was really, Excited just to be there. You know, he didn't play his best necessarily, but he, it was fun to watch him up close, you know, and watch that golf swing, which is so unique. And I, I thought Rory tried too hard. I think Rory tried too hard on camera, you know, talked too much. He and Phil should get together. They, they do wonderful together. Um, and then the second one, which we just saw this week, Matt, the match, I thought was great. You know, first of all, kudos to all eight of these guys. They've raised a tremendous amount of money. Um, on, on their own time, you know, and, and entertained us and, and, and gave up, you know, and gave up their own time to do it. So kudos to them for that. Let's not take anything away from what they did. They raised an incredible amount of money in, in 36 holes golf. Um, second match at the medalist, I thought was really fun because to watch, to watch two amateurs like Peyton and Brady, who obviously are incredible athletes that have done incredible things on the football field. She was the greatest ever. That nervous on the golf course, right? That different on the golf course. These guys are two of the coolest cats in the world behind center. And then put a golf club in their hand and they basically crap their pants. I mean, it's incredible <laughs> how hard, it's really, it's really incredible how hard golf real people, people that if, if for the amateur out there, that's a great lesson. They say to me things like, you know, gee, I was really nervous in the club championship or I was real, I'm really nervous on the first year on Saturday morning. When people are standing around the first tee. So think about Tom Brady and Peyton Manning putting a golf club in their hand and being as nervous as they were, admittedly as nervous as they were, you know? And, you know, you can say, yeah, well, they were playing with Tiger and Phil Mickelson, but they both know Tiger. They both know Phil Mickelson. They've been to Pebble Beach. They played in the AT&T a bunch of times. But the difference is at the AT&T, maybe they're on screen one time for one shot. And don't even, and don't know when they're on. They don't even know when they're on and when they're not on. This time, from one tee to 18 green, they knew that the camera was on them every time they put the club in their hands. And, and, and they, and they crapped their pants. It was incredible to me that golf affected them that much 
on in, in that in that on that on that stage. Um, I thought Tiger did an incredible job. We got a glimpse of what he looks like right now. He drove the ball beautifully. Um, he made some really really nice controlled swings. He looked very comfortable. He looks like his body's in pretty good shape right now. I had a mute. Every time Phil got the mic, I had a mute the thing. I mean, the guy just talks too much. He just doesn't stop talking, man. And I think JT had a great comment. You know, you, you never had a, you never had a shortage for information when Phil has the mic. You know, he, he I thought he killed. I thought he killed Grady early on, especially in that pitch shot. I think it was on the second or third green when he, you know, Grady said, "What do you think?" And, and he went into a twenty minute explanation about how to hit that pitch shot. He, he couldn't handcuff the guy psychologically any more than he did. Phil just can't shut up. He just can't, can't keep his mouth shut. But uh, I thought that was really fun to watch, that format with two great athletes in that situation. I thought they got more comfortable as the match went on. You know, they they played they played beautifully as the match played better and better as the match went on. But the first six holes, they were, they were kind of lost out there. So I want to get your thoughts on, a little further on Phil Mickelson, and not necessarily about the trash talking and the talk, but um, I I think we got who Phil Mickelson is in a, in a microcosm, you know, on the par four 11th when he drove the green, right? He hit, hit like, I think, three feet from the pin and it, it trickled off the back. But uh, and they ended up making that eagle putt for Brady, one of his uh, very few uh, good swings. But Phil Mickelson, that's who he is. He's going to go for broke. And, and, you know, regardless of the consequences, we, we saw it or we've seen it several times in the U.S. Open. I mean, I don't know how many other people are like me, but in 2006, I wish Bowen said when when uh, when Phil tried to grab the driver out of the bag, I wish he would have broken it over his knee and handed him an iron and said, just get it in the fairway and we win this thing. Um, and then well, we saw the meltdown. But that's, you know, Phil's sort of the modern day Arnold Palmer. That's what we love about him and it's what frustrates us about him. What are your thoughts on Phil's game? Well, I, I wouldn't mention Phil Mickelson and Arnold Palmer in the same breath myself, but I understand the comparison. I think I think they were different. First of all, it's a different era. Arnold and Phil came from different periods of time. And the other thing about Arnold, listen, Arnold, like Phil, in that go-for-broke go attitude, gave away at least three or four majors and probably five or six or seven or eight more tour wins doing that. And if I were Phil and had Phil's skills and Phil had, listen, my hat's off to Phil Mickelson. He's got incredible skill, incredible. But if I were Phil Mickelson and I understood golf history, and, and I think it's important that as players you do understand golf history, you look at what Arnold Palmer did and you learn from that and you say, listen, yeah, I've got the ability to do that, but I've got to really pick my spots carefully. You know, there are certain holes that I just can't do that on, like 18 at Wingfoot in that U.S. Open you're talking about. That wasn't the time to do it when previously for 17 holes, You'd hit two fairways all day and still had a chance to win. I mean, you know, and, and shame on Bones for not snapping that driver over his knee. Um, so I, I don't think Phil, if Phil has a fault, I don't think he's studied golf history enough because Arnold could have been a great learning tool for him. Tom, let's, let's get some playing lessons for our listeners. And as I always say, you drill into my head, short game, short game, short game all the time. And I want to talk about that because one thing that I see tour players do that's different than my buddies and I do when they've got a, a wedge in their hands, their, their stance starts to narrow as the club gets higher, right? As the, as a loft on the, on the club gets higher. 
I tend to, and I know my buddies do the same. We have the same stance almost regardless of what club is in our hand. Talk about why we should be creeping in a little as the loft goes up. Well, let's, let's go back and quote the great Harvey Pennick who said, big swing, big setup, little swing, little setup. So one of the things you're going to do when you hit a pitch shot off of a tight line, for example, Chris, is you want to minimize risk. So you want fewer moving parts, you want stability, you want quietness, you want stable. So, you know, if you tell the brain, listen, I've got a little tiny stance here, it's like telling the brain, stay centered, don't move, okay? And when you have to find the bottom of your swing on a very precise location in pristine contact with a lofted club, okay, staying more centered is a pretty good start. Second thing you do is you grip down the golf club. Seve told me one time if he could, if he could under pressure, if he could hold the club anywhere while he hit a pitch shot when he was under pressure choking, he would grab it by the hosel, which I started laughing. Can you imagine grabbing the club on the hosel? You'd be bending over to your ankles. So Seve would hit a lot of those little pitch shots, and his right index finger would be actually touching the shaft of the club. He'd be that far down the club. Um, and then take a lesson from Steve Stricker, who hits a lot of his pitch shots with very little wrist break or wrist hinge, both back and through. So he's got quiet hands, narrow stance, grip down on the club. Those are all insurance policies to create, you know, great contact. So Mr. Penick's quote is right on. And if people would take that lesson from Mr. Penick, little Steve Stricker, little Seve down the grip, and a narrow stance, I think they'd be a lot more successful around the putting surface. Let's talk about the in-between club shots, Tom, because um, I think that's where a lot of us struggle. We may be, you know, let, let's say we hit our sand wedge 90 yards. You know, we're 95. Okay. We hit a 95 hours. Well, you know, if I lean on this a little bit, I probably can get it there. <laughs> you know, I may be, yep. you know, my, my, uh, my, uh, my gap wedge might be, you know, 105 yards. And now, you know, I'm just, I'm sort of in between. What's the best thing to do when we're, when we're thinking, do I lean on this or do I choke down on that? Chris, have you ever played darts in a bar? Of course. Okay, good. Do you, do you, when you play darts in a bar, do you wind up like Louis Tiant and throw it at the wall? <laughs> no. No. Okay. So you got the point, right? So I, I equate in the between shots to playing darts. Okay. It's a very controlled, a compact motion, back to the steady rule. I might go down the shaft a little bit. Not quite like pitching greenside. I might not narrow my stance that much, but I might narrow my stance up a little bit, and I'll make very abbreviated motion. So I'll be more in control, more compact, if you will, and I'll probably take one more club than trying to lean on something and make a moderate tempo swing to fight the ball down and control the trajectory as well as the spin and any, and any, any side misses, okay? So... One of the, but that, that's all technical information. But the main reason, the number one reason why amateurs don't hit those shots, those in-between shots very well is when they go to the range, they hit full shots on a range. So I try to personally, and I try to teach this to my students as well, when I practice on the range, I make sure that during my wedge play segment of my practice, I pick out a target that's X distance. And let's say it's, let's say it's 100 yards, okay? And I comfortably hit my pitching wedge full 120 yards. I'll take a pitching wedge and hit 50 or 60 balls to the 100-yard target with a pitching wedge, which on full swing is a 120-yard club. 
and I'll practice hitting partial shots. I'll practicing partial shots with a 50, uh, my 54 degree wedge, which is about a, a 105 club from me on the golf course. And on the range, I'll hit that 54 club to a 75 yard target. Okay. So I practice hitting partial shots because you know what? I know I'm going to have them on the golf course and I don't want to lean on a wedge because a wedge, a wedge is a dartboard club. It's like throwing darts. I want to create better dispersion, tighter dispersion, better ball fight, better contact quality for spin. And I want to control the trajectory in case I have any elements like wind involved, especially in Florida and Eastern Long Island where I played some of my golf growing up in New York. So I think the number one reason people don't do that well is they never practice doing that. They never practice that on a range. Well, TP, before I let you go, and thank you very much for those tips, um, let our listeners know how they can stay up to date with how, you know, how the, uh, indoor facility is rounding out the things that you're doing. Get some instruction from you, even if they're not down in Naples, Florida, and also follow you on social media. Well, Chris, more importantly, before we do that, I want to say congratulations to you for your, uh, your mention in the top 50 podcasts on the air. Hey, thank you. That? you don't, you don't talk about that. I think that's an incredible honor. It's, it's a tribute to you and all the hard work you've done. It's a tribute to you for having unbelievable guests on, like the fellow you have on behind me tonight are two of the greatest in the game as far as I'm concerned. How you get two guys like that on a podcast is incredible to get them to give up their time. Um, you have so many great people on the show, and, and, and that, that recognition is, is well-deserved and, and something that you should be very, very proud of. And I'm happy for you, pal, as a friend of mine. Nah, I appreciate you very much. I am very honored and humbled by that. And and uh, to your point, the reason why it's there is because of guys like you and Dave Stockton Jr. and Scott Hamilton and, and all the wonderful guests that I am very privileged to have as part of the show. So um, thank you very much. That uh, means a great deal to me, TP. Let let our listeners know how can they follow you, my friend. Chris, I'm I'm on all the all the social media platforms: Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter. Uh, two Facebook pages, my own website at TomPatry.com. I'm getting ready here to get on the road soon. I'm going to be uh, in uh, Carmel, Indiana at Prairie View one week a month. I'm hopefully going to be, fingers crossed, depending on what happens here, one week a month at Saratoga National in Saratoga, New York, which is a wonderful spot. People can come and take a golf school there. Um, I think I'm going to circle back to Naples, Chris, which I've never done one week a month. So I'd love to see my wife a little bit in the next five months and uh, do some teaching in my indoor studio. And then I got a few guest schools around the country. So uh, it should be another active winner for the old guy. Uh, there'll be a lot of miles logged in the, uh, in the white beast driving up and down <laughs> highways all around the country. So it's one of these, somebody's going to find me dead on the side of the road someday. But until then, I'm going to keep on going. There you go. Whenever. Yeah. TP, I can't thank you enough for your time again tonight. Look forward to catching up in a couple of weeks in between now and then. Stay safe and healthy, my friend. My best to Mrs. Patrick as well. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. Chris, we, we all love you. Thanks for having me on, Tom. Take care, uh, TP. Bye-bye, buddy. That's a great Tom Patry. P-A-T-R-I. TomPatry.com is, is his website. And then, like you said, he's all over social media. He is a, a fantastic instructor and a better guy. And I uh, always learn something every time he's a part of the show. And I think tonight was about the 33rd time he's been here. So there's been a lot of learning coming from TP to me. So look forward to catching up with him again soon, folks.